Welcome to the ICC Region 1 Facebook page. Region 1 was established in 2014, and we are made up of three states, California, Hawaii, Nevada. Uh, that includes also 30, 32 ICC chapters. We're dedicated to excellence in education uh, and engagement to promote a safer environment by bringing individuals like myself and Randy Metz together today. This is our first, or this isn't our first Facebook. This is actually a third Facebook uh, event. So we're, we're, we're slowly progressing and going up that hill. Um, uh, but this forum was designed to highlight individuals from chapters uh, that really make up our ICC Region 1. Uh, today we have Randy Metz, Fire Marshal with the city of Carlsbad, California and beautiful Southern California. Um, yeah, Randy, thank you for taking time to join us today. Um, as always, if any of you and uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to comment. Um, you know, make sure to add comment. You can add your comments along the side. I can read those as we go through. Uh, but if you have any additional comments, just let us know, and uh, I'll make sure to uh, bring those up as we as we talk. Um, and uh, Randy, welcome. Uh, I'm glad that you could. We we finally made it through. We we made it through the hump of technology. Uh, technology issues so yes we did thank you very much for the invitation Tim it's my pleasure to join region one today I appreciate it well I, I think really what I'd like to do to kind of begin to kind of kick off our conversation is have you provide you with an opportunity to you know discuss your background describe the area and the department that you serve um, you know being in Southern California obviously there are some you know challenges you know anywhere from seismic events to you know wildfires so um, if you could describe your background in the department and the area you serve that'd be fantastic absolutely um, I've been in the fire service for 29 years all of it in Southern California um, those 29 years uh, span six different fire departments so I've had a lot of different um, experiences, both from small community, uh, you know, three station fire departments. I've worked for the County of Orange for about 11 years where I've got 22 cities and lots of different um, types of, of hazards and concerns from one end of the county to the other. Uh, I've worked for a, a larger, you know, one of the largest cities uh, or top 15 in the in the state. And now I'm currently with the city of Carlsbad that uh, is back on the coast. So I do have ocean influence, seven miles of beautiful Pacific coastline there, uh, as well as uh, inland Wui. So when you've got not only um, ocean concerns, but you got wildland urban interface, um, you know, biotech industry, uh, we're not a large city by any stretch of the means. We're not a metro city. We, we're about 40 square miles. Uh, we currently are right at about 115,000 people. So I'd say we're, we're a medium-sized city right now. Six stations. Uh, just got approved for our seventh station last week. Uh, so we'll, we'll start working on that uh, hopefully by the end of the year. And uh, I've got a staff of uh, 10 individuals in addition to myself that work in fire prevention. Uh, I feel very fortunate to have a bureau that is well-staffed. Uh, one that um, has has addressed a lot of different areas and concerns. We've grown in the, the seven years that I've been here. I started off with about five people and uh, slowly we've been able to, to document and provide a lot of good uh, data to support growing fire prevention. Uh, and the city has reciprocated and listened to us. And uh, I've been very fortunate to see the team grow and to be able to really meet the needs of the community and the fire department. Uh, we, we're definitely looking at not just, uh, you know, what are we mandated to do, but what should we be doing? How involved should we be doing in the development process? Uh, we've made a lot of changes based on things that I've learned 
uh, over the past 29 years. And uh, I think that Carlsbad is in a very good place right now, uh, fire prevention, community risk reduction wise. Uh, and we, we have plans to even do more next year. And we, we just got approved for our, our first full-time wildland urban interface inspector. So we're, okay. we're stepping off into, um, you know, that world there of looking at our wooey areas and seeing what type of an increased difference we can make. Uh, we have had one major wildland fire back in 2014 that came through Carlsbad and, and did some damage. So it's not something we're immune to anymore. Uh, but uh, the city and the city council recognizing that, yeah, that's a need and we're going to give you the tools necessary. It's a great feeling. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, to be able to have, you know, the elected officials and, uh, you know, external stakeholders also be kind of, you know, see that need for fire prevention and kind of those areas where you can help grow and develop and then also help reduce the risk to the overall community. That's outstanding, you know, to Absolutely. be able to have that, that buy-in. Um, you know, we all take different paths. Um, you know, for me, I, I've definitely had kind of quite the career. You know, I've, I, as you, I mean, you've, you, you definitely have a, a few more years on me than than I than mm -hmm. I have in my career. Um, but we all we all take different paths. Can you describe the path and any notable experiences that really have shaped your perspective on fire prevention and code enforcement? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I came into the fire service uh, in 1992, so I was. Um, very early on in the transformation of um, going from firefighters working in fire prevention positions to establishing professional fire prevention or fire prevention as a career track path. Um, I was one of the first ones um, up in the San Gabriel Valley, started off with the City of Arcadia Fire Department, which happened to be my hometown. I'd grown up there. I'd actually grown up in that fire department because uh, my dad would, had been a firefighter there for 30 years, which was a unique opportunity there as well. Um, but it was a small bedroom community. Uh, I spent uh, five years there in various different capacities um, before I uh, left and went to Orange County Fire. Um, and I went there thinking I was a really knowledgeable fire prevention person. <laughs> And I'd say the minute I, I walked in the door to Orange County Fire, I quickly realized there was so much that I yeah. had no clue about. And I <laughs> stepped into a, an organization in a jurisdiction that size, um, all the different types of risks that we had had. I'd never seen a building over 10,000 square feet. You know, right. it, it was, uh, you know, when I say bedroom community, I mean bedroom community. And um, I think that was a little bit of a culture shock for me. Uh -huh. It it was uh, an incredible experience um, to to be an inspector um, initially for you know seven different cities on the western side of, of the county uh, to then a couple years later be able to promote into plan review and and I'd say in one year as a plan checker in uh, Orange County Fire I probably reviewed more plans than a lot of people may review in an entire career in a oh, small yeah. community uh, because yep. that's all we did. Um, so, uh, you know, that experience challenged me, um, you know, there was no excuse on, Hey, I don't know how to do that plan. You were going to learn how to do it, whether you right. knew anything about it or not. Uh, and you know, my peers, um, had the experience and they were willing to share. Um, and, and I really grew as an individual technically, um, in that experience there. Mm -hmm. and, and eventually promoted uh, to assistant fire marshal, which was a supervisor level position, ran my own field office um, okay. and, and learned 
the importance of data and analytics. Yes. Um, we had, had become uh, very adept in using data to justify, um, you know, positions, budget, turnaround times, um, what became uh, a really important issue in working with the, the BIA uh, mm -hmm. to support our fees, um, got very involved in uh, computer software applications, um, you know, things like that, that I probably would have never had the exposure experience if I had stayed in a, a smaller agency there. Right. Um, and, and, you know, was provided my first opportunity to go and be a fire marshal in another jurisdiction, and I jumped at the opportunity, um, learned a lot about um, politics, um, <laughs> you know, as the fire marshal, a yep. lot of the things that I really didn't get involved in when I wasn't uh, <laughs> the manager, per se. Uh, in in that first jurisdiction where I served as FM, uh, and and learned uh, a lot about working for a community that wasn't economically um, as well off as others. I made that move mm -hmm. at the beginning of the economic downturn in two thousand eight, uh, and, and one of the first things I had to do was was go and tell some employees, "I'm sorry, we're going to have to lay you off," which is an experience I'd never experienced before. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, Very and tough. Underst understood how important. Um, you know, monitoring budget is and uh, kind of change again, change my perspective on, uh, you know, I don't like doing inspections for the money. Uh, right. But, you know, occasionally uh, you need to make sure that the money's coming in if you want to keep the, the employees employed. Yep. Uh, so, you know, that experience there eventually, seven years later, led me to Carlsbad back into a situation um, in, in where I'm in a city that is so fortunate to be on the opposite side economically mm -hmm. uh, and and be extremely fiscally responsible uh, to the point where we're able to expand and grow even in in questionable budgetary times right now where a lot of uh, jurisdictions because of the pandemic had to make um, adjustments you know down right. and and yep. you know we 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 weren't needing to do that in the city of Carlsbad and I get all, all the credit to, to our city management and our council that have, have really made great choices over the years. And that really affects your experience as a fire marshal yep. um, in, in choosing the right jurisdiction for you, um, understanding um, the, the restraints that you may have from one jurisdiction to another and why you mm -hmm. can't do the same things that your neighbor's doing because right. you have different circumstances. Yep. And, and that's where I think it's important for you as you step into a role, um, whether it be a new role for you, that you, you take your experiences and remember them, but don't necessarily use those experiences to measure against where you're at right now. Right. Well, and I, I think that you hit on some key key issues is, you know, being a fire marshal, it's a lot about developing par partnerships and mm -hmm. how can you continue to advance that mission? You know, I, I, I've kind of served in some, similar to you, I mean, served in some neighboring jurisdictions and some other jurisdictions where where financial resources were a little bit a little bit lower than what I'm in now and and it's definitely you know you know the comparison and contrasting of that um, so we talk about code enforcement being the sum of uh, many parts how do you build relationships and partnerships uh, to be able to administer building and fire codes uh, you know we, we understand partnerships are so critical to what we do but how do you work at building those relationships you know, I had to start with building the relationships internally with my my building official, my community development director. 
uh, make sure that we were on the same page, mm-hmm. understanding, you know, what fire is going to do, what fire is not going to do. Um, I had to make some changes because, frankly, I think when I got here, fire was was involved in some things that we didn't need to that was mm-hmm. causing um, some issues and concerns with with uh, the process being bogged down right. um, and, and finding a way to release the fire department from things we didn't have to review. Mm-hmm. Um, a, it saved you know, our customer base dollars that they didn't need to spend for me to review something I didn't really have jurisdiction over. Right. Uh, it put the ball back in the building officials court to speed the process up. And I think that one issue right there really um, showed that the fire department was really interested in doing the right thing for the city mm-hmm. um, and, and recognizing um, what our role is here and what it isn't. Um, then I was able to actually go from, from uh, you know, starting to build bridges internally to starting to look at externally, um, you know, who are the major players that I need to, to get involved in, get to know, um, so that, you know, when an issue comes up, I can pick up the phone and have a personal knowledge and relationship yep. with, you know, a, an individual that, that owns, you know, our, our resort hotels or uh, pick up the phone and call, you know, somebody at the school district where I, I have a personal experience mm-hmm. with them not just, hey, I'm your fire marshal, um, I'd like you to, to listen to what I have to say. <laughs> right. Um, it, I, I've learned that this business, it's 100% about relationships. It's who yeah. you know um, and how well do you treat them. Yep. And, you know, for uh, when issues do arise with individuals or industries that I have a good working relationship with, the issues aren't nearly as big as they are when – that same issue arises with somebody that I don't have any relationship with. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and that I think is key as the fire marshal, you need to know your chamber of commerce. You need to know um, your building industry um, association representative from your County. Yep. You need to know, um, you know, who the other department heads are that, that uh, I, I don't look at it as, Oh, I'm just a fire marshal. No, I'm, I'm actually the conduit to make the fire chief's life easier in all things <laughs> yeah. that we do and touch here um, in, in the city of Carlsbad. And yep. uh, I've been given uh, a little bit of freedom and uh, the opportunity to go out and, and build those bridges and, and make those contacts. Uh, and, and so far it's been an outstanding experience here to be able to, to work autonomously still be you know held responsible for things but not have to ask permission for every Mm -hmm. single step that i take as the fire marshal um i I think that it does wonders for my staff uh to have them show up places where you know the the people already know what our expectations are they already know um, that i may have talked with them um and and i encourage my staff as inspectors in order to do the same exact thing you know, build yep. those bridges. Don't rely on my re- on my relationship. Yep. Build your own relationships because you may be the fire marshal one day. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that you hit, you know, on, on a lot of it. Yeah, I think even early on, we talk about it being a culture and being able to, you know, talk about that and, you know, developing those partnerships and those relationships will go a long way, really on the enforcement side of the, you know, the house. And, and many times, you know, 
the interactions that people have are with the fire prevention or community risk reduction divisions of, of fire agencies. And, and we always want those to be as positive as we possibly can. And sometimes, the, you know, if we don't have good relationships, um, and you, you mentioned, you know, making sure that making the job of the fire chief a little bit easier, I also try to do that as well, because mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those things that I, I want, you know, I want the economic development. I want to continue to help and foster that development within the community. But we also, you know, in you, as you know, you know, try to do what we can to make sure it's a safer place for everybody, you know, the, the citizens and the visitors. So, yeah, depending on what I'm doing, you know, I, I compare what we do versus what the firefighters do. You know, most every time the firefighters go out is because somebody asked them to be there. Yeah. You know, they called and said, well, I need your help. Yep. You know, a large portion of my, my, uh, you know, customer base are not people that wanted me to come out and, and see them. So, you know, I have to sell <laughs> right. myself on why, why what yep. we're doing here today is important to them uh, and the service that I am providing, uh, you know, and, and that also helps with compliance. When somebody really wants something from me, they're more <laughs> apt to comply than somebody yep. that really didn't want me there in the first place. So, you know, <laughs> understanding the difference between the inspection processes and how you work within them is important. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I know you're very, you know, active in the code development arena. Um, can you describe your background and experience in this area? I think it's very fascinating to be able to, you know, be on panels and be able to help kind of set the, um, you know, the code for, you know, really for the next, uh, you know, code cycle. And so can you provide a little bit of that sure. background? So I really got uh, involved in code development back in about, uh, I'll say, end of 2002. Uh, California was in, at that time, what was known as the code wars. We were trying to decide what code we were going to do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're going NFPA, ICC, and uh, they put a call out. Once we decided we were going to go with ICC, we put a call out for um, work groups that were going to assist the state fire marshal's office in doing a comparison document uh, between the uniform code and the international code. And um, I was encouraged at Orange County Fire to sign up. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, I ended up being tapped as the chair of the Special Occupancies Work Group, which covered all things high-rise. Um, I happened to be the high-rise coordinator for, for Orange County at the time. Um, and uh, anything that was considered special occupancy in uh, the code, so malls and atriums and, and mm -hmm. everything. We went through a very comprehensive comparison with people from, you know, LA City, Department of Building and Safety, Fire Department, um, all over the state of California on how we carve this up. And mm -hmm. then we pushed that document forward up to the State Fire Marshal's office for them to do a, a consideration document as we moved into the I-codes. Um, I, I, I got thirsty at that point saying, this was kind of cool. This was different. It's not something we, we normally get to do. Right. Um, and, and from that point forward, I joined um, the SoCal FPO's code committee um, where we really got to, to start digging into code change proposals and the new I-code process to us that, that time. Um, you know, I, I had done that ever since probably, I'll say 2003. I've been actively involved in, in the California or the Cal Chiefs code committee process. Mm -hmm. um, I also got very involved in legislation. That's where a lot of people don't understand legislation is different yeah. than code. Yep. And uh, at least in California, we're, we've got a lot more statute um, that's driving um, code expectations now yep. um, as much as we would like to not see that. But, um, you know, I think uh, 
we we were challenged to get California more involved outside of just our code committee, but to um, try to get people on national code development committees mm -hmm. that are actually making decisions. Um, and, and the individual that actually challenged, um, I think all of us on that was Stuart Tom. Um, okay. and, and pretty much said California needs to, to get more involved and needs to be seen as, as a leader. Yep. Um, and, uh, we agreed, and I don't know if I drew the short straw or how that ended up uh, <laughs> happening, but I ended up filling out an application uh, back in 2018 uh, for um, the Fire Code Development Committee, and um, I was selected, which was a, a great experience, my first time ever being on the dais and actually having to um, listen to everything and all the yeah. testimony and even on code changes that I didn't necessarily have a, a, a vested interest in, mm -hmm. um, I had to to really absorb what this was about, um, yeah. listen to the pros and cons on both sides, um, understand the important role that industry plays in the code development process. Mm -hmm. And uh, this year just completed my second term on Fire Code Development Committee. So um, it was another great experience, very different since we were very much virtual. Yep. The committee was in person. All you people weren't. So um, <laughs> that was a very different experience than, than yep. I had back in, in Columbus. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's even more important today um, that we get more involvement in the code development process from the fire service across the country. Yeah. Um, when you looked, if, if you watch any of the tape, on uh, our fire code hearings, there were really two states that were heavily involved, um, and then a couple of individuals from um, agencies within some of the other states. But mm -hmm. outside of California and New York, I'd say that the uh, the participation in the testimony process, um, and, and outside of the FCAC, we had a lot of exposure from FCAC. Mm -hmm. uh, but but there is a large portion of the country that uses the code that doesn't yeah. get involved in the making of the code. And I yeah. think that's what we need to do a better job at, um, it, at least on the fire service. And I know region one is not fire service, but yeah. just an observation that, um, you know, Hawaii and Nevada, you know, they have some involvement, but, you mm -hmm. know, there's always room for growth there. Yep. Um, you know, and, and I don't consider myself just a fire official. Um, that's where I work. But, you know, I've worked very closely with the building officials, with my, my friends at Calbo, um, involved in the LA Basin chapters, the San Diego um, ICC chapter, um, to, to be able to have some understanding of what the building officials' concerns are. Um, mm -hmm. As you know, as, as fire officials in state regulated occupancies, we also uh, do have an active role in serving as, yep. as the uh, dual role as a building official as well. So. Yep. I, I can't just look at it and say, oh, not my job. I don't care. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and I, I've talked to a lot of people in other states where that's exactly how they operate because that's yeah. how their their government has set them up there. So right. um, I, I think, um, you know, for Region 1's perspective, um, having building officials that understand the fire code and fire officials that understand the building code makes a much more rounded um, yep. code official um, in whatever jurisdiction you're working in. Well, and I think that you, as you were talking about Calvo and, and being able to have those relationships with building officials and, and that inner working and building those partnerships, I think is going to be key is, you know, with that uh, kind of help moving it forward. So knowing what each, you know, each person does. So you don't just say it's their responsibility versus this is my responsibility. Yeah. You know, as you mentioned, uh, talking about code development 
in, in only a, maybe certain sections of the country really being involved in, in large, you know, really the country at large using a lot of these codes and even, you know, standards and, the, and those sorts of things, but don't really get too involved in trying to shape them. Um, what suggestions do you have for, you know, maybe agencies or maybe even like a code official that's watching this video to maybe get more involved in that process? I know me, like I, when I, when I started my career, I, I, I was in, you know, uh, southwestern Iowa. Um, I remember seeing the 2006 uh, International Fire Code for the first time. Um, my first code was like five pages long. And then we went to the International Fire Code. And, it, you know, just when yeah. I started seeing it, it was just amazing to see how much more detail that had. But I really didn't think about the code development piece. So if somebody wanted to get involved, what are some suggestions that you would have for those that might want to get involved in that process? You know, if uh, I'll give you an easy example, just on the fire and building side, you may not have a code committee in your state. Your state mm -hmm. may say that's not really our area, uh, but anybody can get involved and listen in on the building code action committee calls or the fire code action committee calls. Um, you know, we'd even welcome, you know, people to listen in on the California code of code yeah. development call from Cal chiefs. Um, yep. you know, LA Basin is always looking for people on the building side that are willing to, um, assist them on their, their matrix there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that's a great place to start to get exposure and until you feel that you're confident enough to, um, start a code committee in your own state. Yep. Um, you know, there are some highly intelligent people that know a lot about the code that are working in the BCAC and the FCAC arenas mm -hmm. right there. And I, I think my concern is that the more um, the code official withdraws from the development of the code, the more the industry will be seen as the driver of the code. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that there's, that's no fault of anyone else's other than the local code official if we don't engage. Right. Um, because we know that industry is going to engage. That's their yep. job. Yep. And um, if we don't want to see um, them driving the bus, then we need to get on the bus and yeah. partner with them. Um, and, and I've seen that a lot in uh, a lot of the code change proposals that were, were actually submitted. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say probably a majority of them came from industry. And yeah. um, that doesn't mean that they're bad proposals. Right. Uh, but, you know, it does show that there's a lot more that we could be doing as local fire officials to be submitting those same coaching proposals uh, yep. for the ones that we think are appropriate. Yeah. Well, and, you know, as you mentioned, industry does take an active role. I mean, in watching the last uh, round of code hearings and seeing how, you know, some of those proposals either, you know, like you said, they're not good. They're not, you know, they're not, not that they're bad and they're trying, they're very well intentioned, but, you know, obviously too, as code professionals, professionals and code officials, we have a little bit different perspective on maybe some of those and being able to help, you know, shape those, you know, through public comment or maybe rebuttal yeah. comments in those, in those hearings. I think that's outstanding to be able to, you know, stand up and be able to talk about that. And as you mentioned, you know, the LA Basin and, the, you know, Trong does a, a very fabulous job with that spreadsheet and you can find that. I mean, he does a lot of that work and it's mm -hmm. available online. So, if, if it, nobody's checked that out, they should really go to the LA Basin's uh, um, you know, website to be able to check that out. And if I can, I'll try to link to that in in, in the notes here. Um, because, uh, you know, being part of Cal Chiefs and, you know, knowing that we also support that, um, but also seeing all the other entities that have that, you can see kind of the positions and then you can read, you know, go to the matrix and be able to see those different things from the monograph and, and hopefully be able to glean some information. So that way when you vote, you know what you're voting on. 
That's um, the important part is, is having informed voters. You know, ICC has always sold our process on being a consensus code development process. Mm -hmm. It's only consensus if the code officials are involved. Um, yeah. and, and that's, that's on us. And, yep. um, you know, that, it doesn't even have to be industry. You know, we had a couple of code change proposals that were submitted by private citizens. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is, is open game for anybody as well. Um, you know, we heard a, a lot of, of discussion on carbon monoxide yeah. um, related issues this year that came from a private resident that had experienced a loss um, that didn't come from industry. And, and that is actually, I think, positive for us to see that other people are looking at the code arena um, to, to help um, shape and, and save lives and reduce risk. Um, yep. and which, which a lot of people, you know, when I say, you know, to people that don't understand what I do, you know, what do you do? Well, I'm going to code hearings. They look at me like, what the <laughs> hell is that? Um, you know, why would you do that? And, and now we've got somebody, another private citizen that understands the process enough that they're going to put an actual code change proposal with their name on it. Yeah. I think that's good. Well, and you know, I, I, I was joking with people, they would ask me what I would, was doing and, you know, I was watching the code hearings. I said it, you know, sometimes it's just as, uh, you know, fan, uh, fascinating as watching paint dry. I mean, you know, sometimes it is kind of dry, but as you mentioned, you know, private, you know, private citizens putting in code changes is outstanding anywhere from carbon monoxide. I, I you know, I sat in on a lot of that, but also even accessibility, you know, mm -hmm. things that are going to impact their life. And, and I think that that's outstanding. And it's a, it's, it's very, very kind of a, it kind of warms my heart in a bit, you know, knowing that there are people that aren't code professionals that respect it, you know, the, the, the field and, and are doing what they can to help shape it. So yeah. um, you mentioned, you know, being, you know, going to the code hearings and it now being, a, uh, or this last time being a virtual process, um, you know, this was the first time, you know, ICC and, and the, you know, their folks there, they, they did a great job. I, you know, I watched it and I, I thought it was a great product. I would like to maybe get your sense from somebody that was on a committee and there in person, maybe get a peek behind the curtain um, and maybe some of the good things that you saw um, there uh, while you were, while you were there in Chicago. You know, I, I think uh, the biggest thing is we saw um, a lot more people watching the code hearings. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have the numbers in front of me there. I know that they're out there. Um, but you know, we're seeing, you know, a couple thousand people that actually registered to view the code hearings. Um, you know, that we, we rarely get that many people, you know, you're lucky sometimes if you got a hundred people in the room at certain times to hear a code change proposal when you're live. Um, well, especially so, when it gets late at night. And yeah. We, when you yeah. get late nights there, um, you know, or you look and say, Oh, my next one I'm really interested in is, you know, 20 proposals away. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that was probably the best thing that, that I saw out of it was uh, an opportunity for more people, including code officials, to be able to um, participate, view, um, get exposed to it without necessarily having to travel there. Yeah. Um, I, I think that um, the experience of being in person is still extremely important. Yep. Um, and, and I would like to see that remain. Um, you know, I, I have to hand it to, to Mike Pfeiffer and his staff mm -hmm. uh, for what they were able to, to pull off. Yeah. Um, CMI, or, you know, CMI did an outstanding job of the technology behind the scenes for us. Uh, yep. You know, yes, the days were long. They didn't seem, for me, like they were as long as they actually were right. um, with the, the process that they had set up for the committee. 
Um, you know, yeah, there were some delays. Yeah, we were, you know, had technology issues. Um, but when you look at the amount of people and the amount of time that we were on, uh, you know, a Zoom call, it, I, it was the, the longest, you know, largest Zoom call that I'd ever been on in, in my life there. Um, and, and it may have um, a place here in the future to continue to explore that. Uh, but um, I don't think it can replace the in-person process, yeah. but I think it can definitely um, augment and support it. Yeah, yeah. It, it is definitely shown that um, we can do it, um, yep. you know, because the only other alternative at this point was to delay um, the co-development process by a year, and, yeah. and that is not exactly what, what uh, we wanted to see. I definitely know that's not what ICC wanted to see, um, and, and it pushes everything back, so... Um, you know, yes, um, it was different, but, um, you know, I think we as, as committee members, the one thing we couldn't see is when you see people queuing up, um, we don't see that. We couldn't see what you saw if you're oh, in the waiting okay. room to yep. see how many people are in there. When we're in person, I can see the line of people that are queuing in <laughs> yeah. the mic one yep. side or the other, or I yep. can see somebody make a statement. And then I can see, you know, 20 people sit back down because they don't need to make the same Me Too statement. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think that all of the uh, the backdoor um, negotiating that goes on yeah. while you're waiting in line to provide your testimony yep. couldn't really occur in the same manner here um, in the virtual setting. So that's yeah. probably the biggest thing that I saw um, that was different on a, a negative uh, mm -hmm. was that uh, a lot of the work that is done by the, the major players that go to every code hearing yep. um, had to be done in a completely different format. And uh, the, the agreements, or you may have seen a, a, a lot of modified floor mods that were yep. removed this time. Yep. Um, a lot of times those floor mod mods are discussed prior to as yep. they're entered into the system. And um, when you won't have 27 different mods on uh, in the right. system on one, one change. Yep. So, you know, things like that, um, that we saw that couldn't occur, it didn't. Uh, it slowed the process down a little bit. I, uh -huh. I, I would estimate we probably took thirty to forty percent more time, right? Yeah. Just because of making letting the technology work than it yep. would have been if we were in person. Um, right. And and we we had to account to that, which is why we had so many late nights. Um, yeah. I think the process took a little bit longer than originally anticipated when we figured we'd be switching over to to a virtual process. Uh, but everybody got out on time. Yep. Um, you know, fire code that I, one that I was on, we got done a day early. I was um, going to say, we finished you know, early. It was kind of good. <laughs> it, it was kind of good. We, unexpected, but good there. Uh, yeah. But I think that was because we had all learned uh, so much on all the, the five or six other codes that had gone before us right. on uh, how to make this process move a little quicker. And uh, right. got, a, got a hand to the moderators. They were they were on top of it, um, did not let us stray. And uh, I think we've got some of the best moderators out there that uh, do a great job for us. Yeah, you know, and I, 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 you know, you hit on a couple things that I, I've, I've been, you know, only on the code development side of the house for really only a couple years now. Um, so I was able to see the group A code hearings and the group B code hearings now. And, you know, being a person in Las Vegas and, and like you said, the wheeling and dealing you, you see and the discussion that you see with all the people that are proposing things and how they're trying to affect maybe some, you know, rev revise it a bit and maybe provide some public comment where you don't necessarily see, we had that this time around, but it was in a much different format. You, anywhere from, you know, other Zoom calls and other, yeah. you know, 
email chains and, and things like that. It was one of those things that it was a much different feel. But I will say that, you, you know, being somebody that did, you know, need to, uh, you know, present some information, I, I felt it like went really well. The two minutes really go fast, um, even though when you have a lot of things to say, that that two minutes goes fast and they cut you off, which is probably yeah. they need to. That's their to job. Going, yep. And so. You know, Got to keep it fair for everybody. Yep. But it was, I will say that I do think that it, it like you mentioned, it did kind of increase participation. And, and if they can do something where they offer a virtual offering and the in-person, you know, some way that they could kind of mesh that and build on that efficiency somehow, I, that would be fantastic for future code development cycles. I, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, I, I really think that we're kind of on the tip of, of this technology because, you know, we were kind of forced into it. So how can we, you know, use it and make it better for the next time around? Yeah, so. I, I see a hybrid option, you know, being in the mix there in the future there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, in, at least for my staff, I, I made sure that all of my staff um, had as much clear time on their calendars during fire code hearings as possible yeah. so they could sit there and watch and learn. Um, yeah. I think that was the biggest thing when you're early on in your career, learning how that code was developed that you're going out there and using um, yep. makes a, a more well-rounded inspector, um, something I wish I had learned earlier. Um, you know, I didn't yep. get it. I didn't get into that role. Um, to learning on how the code was was created until I was already a supervisor. Um, yeah. So I, I was, you know, 10 years into my career before I, I got exposed to that. So I wanted to make sure I exposed my inspectors um, as early as I can to try and grow up the next generation of uh, people that are going to replace, you know, the old people like me and, and you someday there, yeah. um, you know, that we're not going to be around here doing this forever. No, no, we're not. And, you know, and, and I really think that it was fascinating to see, how, you know, really on the code development, you understand the intent of what that code was or that code proposal, that code change was, you know, a lot of times you read the commentary and you're really trying to figure out what the intent of that, you know, that code change was when it came into the code, but watching code development, watching code hearings, you actually see that you get to see their reason statements, those sorts of things. It's, it's, to me, I I think, you know, it's an experience that, you know, nothing else can really replace in code development is, actually participating in the hearings so absolutely um you know during we talked about some of those topics that we saw in the code hearings um you know anywhere from you know, you know carbon monoxide accessibility but we also you know saw you know things from COVID 19 we saw tall wood buildings cannabis and those sorts of things but what do you see maybe on the horizon that maybe we need to start kind of thinking about now in the next uh, uh, you know cycle of the code, is, is there anything that you kind of you know maybe on the tip of your tongue, you know, forefront of your mind that you can think of that might be something that we need to start thinking about now? You know, there's always um, new industries that are popping up every day, and as you know, you know, a new industry that pops up tomorrow, it's probably a six-year process for actually us to actually get um, mm-hmm. you know codes into uh, publication to address that new industry that just popped up. Yep. Um, so I, I don't know that that new industry has, has popped yet that that isn't already on our, um, radar. our radar right there. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of the stuff that you've seen, uh, with a lot of jurisdictions, uh, working in the areas of flammable refrigerants is relatively new mm-hmm. for us. You know, yep. we've heard about this for two, for, this is our second code cycle on, on, uh, listening about flammable refrigerants, pros and cons to them. Uh, you know, I think we all know that, yes, they're going to be here. 
they are coming, they're going to be in the code uh, and getting all of the knowledge necessary, all of the answers um, that uh, fire service and the building uh, departments need in order to be comfortable for the regulation side of that um, is still, uh, I don't think we, we've peaked yet on that. Um, a lot of what you saw in, um, that was, was debated this time was all on stored energy. Yep. Um, I think as we learn more on stored energy, um, you know, I think that there'll be more continued changes uh, in Chapter 12 to address a lot of that uh, out of the fire code. Um, you know, we're just now starting to see tall wood buildings start to actually be built yep. utilizing uh, what was approved back in Columbus. So mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was three years ago. Um, you know, I can't say that um, really that those, those codes have been uh, applied universally throughout the entire country yet. I know we have a couple buildings that are starting to, to pop up slowly there. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm not aware of a building yet that has uh, utilized the entire uh, available height and area out of the table. Um, right. And once we do, then that will be a case study there on how that yeah. works. You know, yep. you know, is the building as safe as we thought it was going to be um, yep. when it went into the code? Um, I, that's one of the things that I like to do is I like to continue to monitor things that have been approved to mm -hmm. see if, um, you know, things uh, that we see in the field actually are the are what we thought they were going to be when we right. heard the testimony. Right. Um, you know, a lot of that, that at least California, uh, a lot in Colorado has gone through in dealing with plant extraction processes and, yep. you know, basically trying to ensure an industry that we know has hazards and risks, um, mm -hmm. you know, can be done safely um, right. has been somewhat of a challenge there. And, yep. um, you know, I think that a lot of that is is really what our job as code officials are, is to not only apply what's in there, but monitor and track whether what's in there achieved the purpose that we intended it to when we all agreed that that was what we were going to do. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that I think is another function of the code official um, that's a very important one. And having the data and the analytics to support for or against a, a code change. You know, I heard a lot of people in the fire service, yeah, we don't like, you know, tall wood. We don't like this. We don't like that. Right. Yet we didn't necessarily have any specific data that was measurable yeah. to justify our feeling. And, yeah. and and that's where I'm, I try to not go as much on feeling as I do right. on, on tangible evidence uh, that I can point to if I'm going to make an argument that I don't like something. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where I think uh, the fire service as a whole um, can do a better job at, at gathering good data uh, yep. that can be replicated. Yeah. You know, we talk about data and, you know, you even mentioned it early on when, you know, having that data to take a look at maybe hiring that wild and urban interface coordinator and, and, you know, data is getting so much more important, you know, especially in community risk reduction. I, you know, there are so many programs that are coming out now that help to kind of provide those metrics. You know, as I think about data, you know, COVID-19 really kind of helped shed some light on it. Even Tallwood Buildings, as you just indicated, you know, whether or not I've got a gut feeling that this is going to be bad. Well, your gut feeling doesn't really mean anything mm -hmm. unless it's supported by some actual facts. You know, your feelings are not facts. And so we have to try to make that transition. 
So what metrics do you use in, within your own department as, you, as you're looking at evaluating how you're meeting the need of the, of the community? What metrics do you take a look at? You know, I, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I look at the number of inspections and I'm thinking, well, the number of inspections is great and making sure that I, I achieve the number of state mandated inspections that I have to do here in California, I get those done. But I don't know if that's really a metric that I really need to use to take a look at you know, my overall effectiveness. But what, what type of things do you look at in Carlsbad? You know, measuring effectiveness of a fire prevention bureau is always going to be a, a, a difficult um, challenge to, to justify what equals effect, an effective workforce um, mm -hmm. from, you know, a, a fire prevention staff. You know, how many things did I prevent that I don't know about? Um, you know, we look at uh, a lot of, uh, you know, how much time in the day are my inspectors actually, um, you know, contributing to a form of, um, of a program. Doesn't mm -hmm. all have to, I'm not, I, I hate, because uh, I had to do it once where I had to literally track every hour of every day and what did I do? And I spent, you know, an hour at the end of the day doing nothing but tracking what I did yep. all day. Yep, and I yep. think that that is not necessarily an effective process um, to utilize. We, right. We've had to do that when I'm doing a time study for a, a fee study. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's important that you're documenting exactly what you spent the time on and how much time did it take to do this task. Right. Right. But once right. you're done with that, you know, then I put that aside and say, okay, we're not doing that anymore, you know, because yep. of the amount of time it takes to simply keep track of time. Right. Um, you know, yep. I, we, we know... Um, what our expected or desired outcome is. And um, I like to give my staff the freedom in order to, um, you know, figure out how to get from point A to point D. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell them everything that needs to be done every step of the way, which provides my staff a little bit of creativity, yep. uh, which has actually, you know, we, we've actually put out a couple videos over the last month for Building Safety Month okay. that have... Um, have gone uh, national, uh, you know, 1,400 views on on a four-minute video on how to do a fire inspection off okay. of LinkedIn from one post. And people reaching out and saying, hey, this is great. Can we use this in our state as part of a training tool? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we're utilizing um, other avenues that we've never looked into before, and it's all, for me, been employee-led. Um, and it's oh. because – Fascinating. You know, I, yeah. I, I take no credit for that other than saying, we like the idea, go forth and do it. Yep. Um, and, and I've been amazed at what they've been able to, to come up with because we gave them the time in order to, to invest in something totally different than going out and doing plan checks or doing inspections. Right. Um, you know, turnaround times is important for me because it's right. important to my, my end customer. Yep. Um, yep. You know, but, you know, I'm not sitting here, you know, looking at the list going, Oh my gosh, this this plan is is hit its ninth day. You know, ten days is my my goal right there. Um, I, I certainly hope that this plan walks in the door tomorrow. Right. You know, I know that that ninety eight percent of the time, our plans are done within um, the specified time frame. There, I've got a great third party that works for me that that assists us in that process there. Um, so you know, for us on the analytics side, I won't say that we're heavy in. Um, using data and analytics for um, what my people do. We do use a lot of data and analytics to ensure that my engine companies that have inspections assigned to them mm -hmm. 
are meeting their goal. So at the end of the year, um, you know, we don't have a, a 40% workload that didn't get accomplished. So yeah. we actually do, yep. do monthly uh, reports to my field BCs uh, because those are employees that don't work for me. And right. uh, yep. I utilize, I, if I provide them the necessary information to show the productivity of their employees, um, then they're in turn helping me ensure that, that my, the portion of my uh, responsibility that's tasked to another division um, is continually accomplished. Um, uh -huh. and, and this was something we, we didn't even do um, engine company inspections until SB 1205 came out and we started right. having to, to now report on our mandated yep. inspections. Um, and, and we decided there's a department that we were going to pilot that utilizing engine companies to assist. Um, and um, it may, be, may not be ideal, uh, but it was what we had available to us at the time. And, um, you know, we are, are doing a lot more with the analytics um, utilizing our standards of cover documents, other, mm -hmm. you know, fire service related things um, for, for unit deployment. We haven't gotten the SOC uh, process mm -hmm. all the way down into the prevention world yet. Um, mm -hmm. And, and we've been able to, um, to show the need for more bodies based on the value of filling the task. So, you know, I've, I was given the opportunity, do you want another inspector or do you want to have a permit tech working the front counter? You know, a lot of people say, oh, you got to have the inspector. For me, the permit, the permit tech was tech. far yeah. more valuable to me to be yeah. able to have a forward-facing public experience than bringing on another inspector um, where I yep. wasn't necessarily serving the public the way the building department was. Um, yeah. and, and slowly, one piece at a time, getting the right individuals in the right areas for the fire prevention bureau to be successful for the city mm -hmm. was was our our stopping point right there, uh, and we we just literally went one step at a time. We didn't yep. get it all at one time. Uh, you know, we've grown you know by five positions, one position every year um, yep. to to document why I need that person, you know, in this location and what value it's going to bring to the city and the customer service experience. Um, and and having people on the opposite end that actually were listening to us, um, because ultimately, I, I couldn't provide the data and the analytics um, in the same manner that I can, um, you know, response times and call volumes yeah. and wall time. Yeah. We we have all that type of stuff that we can pull out on the operation side, but we definitely usually don't have that same type of of analytic tool on the prevention side, um, yeah. and. I have yet to see a, a perfect analytic tool for fire prevention um, to be able to show who's effective and who's not. Um, yeah. I've seen a lot of very ineffective bureaus be able to do a lot of inspections. Um, yeah. and, and that's where I'm, I'm always hesitant to jump off on that bridge uh, to, to say, um, you know, I don't care. You know, data alone isn't, isn't necessarily a good thing unless it's good data and right. it's needed data. Yeah. You know, yep. I've seen a lot of people say, look at all this data I've gotten. I'm looking and say, great. Well, what does it tell you? <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know what it tells me. Well, <laughs> well, if you don't know what it tells you, then I don't know what it tells you. And, right. uh, you know, right. I, if we're going to collect data, I want to collect data on things that actually mean something. They're uh, significant. Just, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Well, and you hit on it. it you know, it's, it, everybody always, you, you know, when 
we have some, you know, I don't want to say fiscal or financial, you know, troubles that a lot of times they look at prevention as being an area that they might be able to, you know, reduce staff and reduce cost. Um, because we can't necessarily always track, um, you know, how effective we are, you know, how many lives we're saving every day by going out and doing those inspections. Mm -hmm. And so that's, it's very difficult. And, you know, we try to do the best we can. And if somebody comes up with that tool, uh, I think they're going to make a lot of money, uh, you know, showing really that effectiveness uh, of, you know, fire prevention inspections, you know, uh, especially on like when I do fire investigations, you take a look at how much of the, the structure did you save? You, you focus more on the save than you do the loss because you yeah. are going to lose a little bit. So, and I think that that's something that if we could figure out how we do that on the fire prevention piece, because we're having fewer fires, you know, a lot of that can be attributed to code enforcement, can be attributed to, you know, our, our public education efforts, could be attributed to the engineering efforts that we do every day. I mean, residential uh, fire sprinklers are definitely reducing the damage to structures. They typically, you know, one sprinkler head normally controls it and we don't lose structures. And so that is one of those areas where we're seeing that change. And I think that a lot of different fire agencies are maybe making that transition. You know, we always talk about community risk reduction. It used to be a buzzword. Now I think more and more agencies are kind of looking at how can we reduce that overall risk? So. Yeah, and that's where, you know, if you're on the building department side, you know, go get in the know on what your fire prevention bureau is doing um, yes. for, you know, community risk reduction type stuff, because there's probably a tie in um, yeah. that you can do on the community development side yep. um, and, and partner that way as well. Um, I, I think that uh, too many of our fire prevention bureaus and our building departments operate in silos where they yep. may cross over a little bit. Um, but you know, I think that the more I know what they're doing and vice versa, the stronger yep. we are as a, a code enforcement related, um, you know, entity at that point there. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Well, to kind of close out our discussion, you know, heck it's already been an hour. It's, uh, it's hard to believe it's been an mm -hmm. hour. Um, but my last question is, you know, being part of Region 1, and I know that you've been a very active participant in Region 1, how do you engage with ICC? Um, you know, what are those things that you do um, that, you know, how do you really engage with, one, Region 1, but also, two, the overall, uh, you know, International Code Council? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm fortunate to actually be a past president of Region 1, um, and, and I think that's where ICC begins at the chapter level. Um, you know, I've, I've been a member of, of multiple different types of chapters, whether it's a statewide chapter, uh, a county chapter, you know, region one being a multi-state chapter, but there are three states that have very different interests and concerns. Um, you know, one of them is all the way across the ocean. So, you know, it, it uh, understanding the role and the function of each different type of chapter is important um, and, and getting out there and being involved uh, in some way. I know that you were recruited for, for the board there. Um, yes. you know, and, and that's where, um, you know, I was too, when, when I first stepped into that, that role there, um, when somebody calls, you know, answer the call, say, you know, yeah. I, I don't know about that. You know, it's not really, you know, I, I guarantee you, um, nine times out of 10, you're not going to have a bad experience. Right. Um, you know, I happen to also chair the, the fire service membership council and that's where, when, when you um, want to get involved in all things ICC that has no geographic boundaries, 
join one of the membership councils. Um, there's a lot of, of great um, information that's being shared. Um, those governing committees have a, a great cross-section of individuals from across the country, whether you're in the building membership council, uh, PFG, uh, major jurisdiction, um, you know, that's what those councils are there for is to mm -hmm. uh, be able to provide a little bit of oversight um, and really be an advisory council to the board of directors for ICC um, and, and look for other opportunities. If they put a call up, put your name in for a committee. Yeah. Um, you know, the worst they can say is no. Uh, yeah. But, you know, when you put your name out for enough of them, then they'll start looking saying, this is an eager person. This person wants to get involved. How can we get those individuals involved? Um, that's really how it started off for me in mm -hmm. when I first joined the Fire Service Membership Council, um, and, and which is one of the main reasons why I'm looking at that next step of, <laughs> of actually running for the ICC Board of Directors. Yep. Um, you know, I want to make sure that Region 1 has strong representation there. Um, I want to say make sure that the fire service has uh, a, a representative up there at the yep. board level um, and and understanding that uh, you know the ICC board is a lot different than running for the, the board of your local chapter um, yep. you're, you're running a, co a company a corporation and yep. making a lot of different types of decisions that not all of us understand um, yep. and, and uh, I think that's the important uh, process to remember is um, we want representatives that we know that we support, that we feel, um, you know, if, if I, I was comfortable when that individual um, had the reins of my chapter, um, so therefore I may have some familiarity with that individual when they're running for a higher position. Um, yep. You know, I, I think that there, uh, there's a lot that we can do as members of ICC, because really it is a member-driven organization yes. um, to, to get involved other than just say, hey, I attend a chapter meeting. That's yeah. great. What can you do to help serve ICC? You right. Know, don't ask what can ICC do for you. The question could be <laughs> what can you do for ICC to exactly. make make it a stronger organization in your geographic area that you're responsible for. Yep. Um, and, and have a reach out to your government relations people. They are really hardworking people. Yes. Um, your GRFs from ICC, and uh, they want to. They're really the individuals that are going to get you what you need. Yep. Um, you know, within your chapter, within your agency, um, and the ones that I interact with on a regular basis are um, very knowledgeable, um, extremely professional, and really want to get to know what your needs are and um, how they can help serve you. That That's what yep. government relations is all about there. Yep. Yeah. And as you hit on it, just getting, get involved, you know, get involved with your local region, you know, you know, anywhere from, you know, we're region one, Hawaii, Nevada, California, but get involved with your local region. You know, that's going to help with your code development. That's going to help with, you know, you know, like you talked about being part of the fire service membership council, you know, really get involved. I, I think was, is going to be something that will lead to a lot of success in your career um, and really help you kind of, you know, through that pathway and really help you in those next steps. Uh, you know, I, I, I personally, you know, uh, like you said, don't hesitate. Just, just, you, you're, you're going to find the time. Um, and it's and not something that's just for your, for you. Yeah. I extend the offer to my employees. I want to get them involved in areas outside of just what their daily job duties are here to plant yep. the seed now. Um, let them know that, hey, these things are out there. They're good for professional development. They're good for growth. Um, and, and don't look at it and say, oh, that's, 
that type of participation is excluded to the manager or the building right. official, the yeah. fire marshal, because that's yep. not what ICC wants to, that's no. not what we're about. Yep. I 100% agree. Well, Randy, I really appreciate it. You know, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. Um, it's, uh, you know, being just getting back from code hearings and, and Calbo last week. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a busy time right now. And uh, we're getting ready for public comment on the uh, code, you know, the Group A code cycle. So, um, you know, hopefully everybody's working on that. But uh, do you have any last words, parting, you know, any parting words for, for the people that are watching? You know, get involved, um, whether it's virtual or in person this year. I hope to see a lot of you in Pittsburgh. Um, if not, I hope you'll join us online. Uh, and, and if you uh, get on that next Region 1 call, you know, Region yep. 1 is growing. Um, you know, things like this are, are definitely um, opportunities to expand the footprint of Region 1. And, um, you know, I think that uh, you guys are doing a great job. So thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it, Randy. I really do. Uh, you know, it's good for me. You know, I, like I, I've been in California for five years now and I'm still learning. So it's mm -hmm. always good to be able to talk to other professionals from around the region um, and uh, kind of grow and develop personally and professionally for me as well. So I really appreciate it. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, Randy. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye.